food bloggers. Hi, how are you today? Thank you so much for tuning in to the Eat Blog Talk podcast. This is the place for food bloggers to get information and inspiration to accelerate your blog's growth and ultimately help you to achieve your freedom, whether that's financial, personal, or professional. I'm Megan Porta. I have been a food blogger for 13 years, so I understand how isolating food blogging can be. I'm on a mission to motivate, inspire, and most importantly, let each and every food blogger, including you, know that you are heard and supported. The topic of niching down or starting another site that's very, very niche is a hot topic, I think, right now for good reason. You can get a lot of traction. You can get an easily engaged audience. Your users love you. You can be kind of the go-to person in your niche for your topic. All of these are really attractive points that a lot of food bloggers want right now. Emily Rhodes from Steam and Bake joins me in this episode to talk about her very, very hyper niche blog and how it has served her really well over the past 10 years. She talks about things like how to do keyword research when you have a really specific niche, how to diversify your income, how to deal with that whole comparison thing, and also how to deal with becoming the like go-to known person in your industry for your specific niche. I absolutely loved this conversation with Emily. I hope you enjoy it too. It is episode number 468, sponsored by Rank IQ. Hey, awesome food bloggers. Before we dig into this episode, I have a really quick favor to ask you. Go to your favorite podcast player, go to eBlog Talk, scroll down to the bottom where you see the ratings and review section. Leave eBlog Talk a five-star rating if you love this podcast and leave a great review. This will only benefit this podcast. It adds value. And I so very much appreciate your efforts with this. Thank you so much for doing this. Okay, now on to the episode. Emily Rhodes started Steam and Bake a little over 10 years ago. She is now a journalist and nutritionist, but at that time, she was a home economist and demonstrator for a global appliances manufacturer. Clients kept complaining about the lack of steam oven recipes and resources after they had bought these fancy new ovens. She thought surely one of the huge food sites or famous chefs would start writing about them soon. After a couple of years in the job, Emily realized no one was coming to save these people. The manufacturers were not much help and no one else was writing recipes specifically for these appliances. So she figured she'd put a few posts up and see what happened. Fast forward a decade and Steam and Bake is the number one source of steam oven recipes on the internet, earning her an income from home while raising three boys. It absolutely blows her mind that a teeny little website in Australia has taken her to this point. Emily is grateful every day for what she gets to do. Emily, how are you today? How is it going over there in Australia? I'm great, Megan. Thank you. I'm very excited to be talking to you today. Yes, and it's super late at night and very early here, so we're making it work, though. <laughs> we are making it work. Yeah, it's, it's late. It's a good time for me. All my kids are in bed. Oh, Yeah, it's nice yeah. and quiet here. <laughs> Oh, good. Well, thank you for joining us on eBlog Talk today. I know we're going to talk about the value of niching down and get your insights on that. But first, do you have a fun fact to share with us? I do have a fun fact. My fun fact is that when I was 17, which is quite a long time ago now, I went and spent a year in a very small town in South Africa on student exchange. Oh, a whole year? A whole year, January to December. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. That had to be the most amazing experience. 
It was. I knew I was going for probably a year before I went. So I had a lot of lead up to learning about going and learning a bit about the country. But it was a massive culture shock. And then it was the best experience that I've ever had, I think. Oh, I love that. Yes. I know it's scary though, right? Doing something like that, especially for a year. That's a big chunk of your life. Yeah. And I had never been, I think I had been on a plane once before, but I had never left the country and I'd never left my parents for more than maybe like a couple of days at a time. Yeah. It was a big, a very big thing, but actually I think it sort of catapulted me into being a lot more independent much earlier than I would have been otherwise. Okay, so I should send my children off for a year. Is that what you're saying? I think <laughs> Somewhere. I Not that I want to send my children. Now that I have children, I think about I what know. a big deal it is. <laughs> I know. I also, I also think that they should go. They all should go. <laughs> I know. It is good. I mean, it's hard, but it's good, I think, all around, whether it's you or your kids, right? Yeah. But good. So glad you experienced that. So we're going to talk about niching down. But first, I think it might just kind of frame our chat a little bit if you told us a bit about your blog. Sure. I started my blog 10 years ago now when my eldest son was a baby. Uh, I think, I don't know, I I feel like it resonates with a lot of bloggers that you have a baby and you think, oh, I'll just start a blog because it will be fun. It will be a nice hobby while the baby is small and I'm, you know, at home a little bit more. (laughs) And like a lot of other bloggers, it took over my life and now it is my my job. (laughs) So my blog is... A quite unusual and very hyper niche blog. I blog about steam oven cooking, which if you have a steam oven, you find amazing. And for the 97% of the population that don't have a steam oven and don't know what one is, they've probably never seen my website before. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea what steam. Okay. I'm looking it up right now. This is so intriguing. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. So when did you niche down to steam oven cooking? I started the blog for steam oven cooking. So it was always this thing. I had worked for probably five years before I started the blog. So before I had kids, I did a job where I was demonstrating or developing recipes and training and things for a couple of really big global oven brands. And those brands, they had, you know, we had a lot of other products as well, but the steam oven and combi steam oven was a really new thing then. And they really pushed this idea of teaching people how to use this wild appliance that no one had ever seen before, but they were pushing people to have in their home kitchens. So I already had that background. And the reason I started the blog was because everyone I had spoken to in that sort of frame didn't understand the product, didn't understand what recipes they could make, didn't understand how to convert their normal cooking into steam oven cooking. So yeah, that's where I started and it's kind of where I still am. I'm I'm surprised a little bit at how how 10 years have gone by and I'm still teaching the same thing, but I do love it. Oh my goodness. Okay, I feel like that was kind of lucky, right? Like yeah. I I just assumed that you started out the way I did 10 plus years ago and like just publishing anything and everything and then you decided to niche down, but the fact that you started with this really 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 niche niche yeah. It's so cool. And I, I don't usually hear about that. I almost took it on. I must have come at it, I think, from the other end that, that most people do when they start blogging. And I came at it with this viewpoint that I had always wanted to have a food blog and I had never known what to write about. And I knew I needed a sort of some kind of hook. I don't think niching down was a thing 10 years ago. I think most people yeah. that had food blogs, they just, like you say, you just 
pop some recipes up and hope for the best. <laughs> yeah. But I knew I needed some kind of hook, even if it wasn't a specific niche, and I knew the topic. So it almost, I don't know, it just almost turned into its own thing without me thinking about it very much. Wow, that's really cool. I think you you have a leg up on a lot of people. So how have things gone in recent years with all of the you know, the fluctuations and the updates and all of that, have you stood pretty strong with your traffic? I have. I was thinking about this today and I've thought about it a lot over the last, I don't know, six weeks when Google has rolled out the really big recent update, which most people will Mm -hmm. be well aware of. I have been, with that update and with every other update prior to that, I seem to be really minimally impacted by updates. And that's not, I don't sit there and feel smug about it. I just think that it's maybe a fact of me being one of the only people real like genuinely one of the only two or three or four people in the world specifically writing on this topic (laughs) so I think either Google thinks I'm an expert which is wonderful I hope I am after 10 years of doing it or they haven't noticed me at all which is also fine because (laughs) because if they're not impacting my website when they do updates that makes me really happy oh that's good yeah this is really intriguing okay so we're going to talk about I think if somebody is listening and just feeling like they do need to niche down or maybe they want to start a second site that's really niche, like how to go about that. So what do you, what is your advice for finding a niche? And I'm assuming you don't want us to go steal your niche. (laughs) (laughs) You can steal my niche. I would love if more people wrote about my niche. Then I would have other people to ask for roundup topics. (laughs) I like that you said that because people always assume that I'm like, don't take my niche or my keywords or whatever. And I'm always like, go for it. If you want to take my keywords, let's do it together. I am. Oh my gosh. I always think that. And I think. I think, gosh, I would love if there were more people writing about the same thing that I write about because it would make that world a little bit bigger. Yeah, it's a very strange thing to be, I think, for a lot of people to say, oh, you know, I don't want your competition. I just want you to collaborate and let's talk about the same things that we write about. But I find that really valuable Yeah, from a food perspective, but I would find it really valuable if anyone else wanted to niche into steam ovens. Okay, <laughs> so I love if it. If you're looking for a niche, maybe you just need to go and write about steam ovens. Yes. No, so I think as far as advice goes, I'm weird because my niche found me, but mm. I definitely would say don't go and niche into anything that you don't know about. That That's probably my number one piece of advice for it. If you would like to niche down, find something that you actually enjoy for a start. I know I've heard this advice before and it rings really true. There's no point finding a niche that you think, oh, that's a cool, like a cool trendy thing now. So I'm going to write about it. If you have no knowledge, but more importantly, no interest in it. I think, Megan, I remember you vegan. Is that right? No, I am. No, you're not vegan. No. Ah, I don't know where I got that from. (laughs) All this time I've been thinking you're vegan. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. I have, I love vegan. I have vegan friends. (laughs) Yeah. I love vegan too, but I'm not. (laughs) Yeah. So my point anyway, with the vegan thing was just more that you wouldn't go and write about vegan food if you weren't vegan or if you didn't enjoy vegan food. So it runs the same for every niche, you know, take inspiration from someone else who's writing about the thing that you like. If there is someone to take inspiration from, And if there's not, you can still write about it. I did, and I'm still here 10 years later. So, you know, you don't need to write about something that a lot of other people are already writing about if you feel really strongly about something. Yeah. No, I think that is a good first, really good piece of advice. You have to know it well. You have to love it because if you want to do it for 
the long haul, you've got to keep loving it, right? It can't just be like a passing fad or something. Yeah, you do. And you've got to be really happy to, to understand. And I don't think I even understood this. I never thought I would be doing what I'm doing 10 years later. Yeah. But I think if you're not willing to really go deep and wide into a topic, then it's not going to be the topic that's going to, like you say, get you for the long haul. So that's where people start. They just think, okay, if something that they're really into that they really like, whether it's an appliance or a style of cooking or, I mean, there's so many ways to think through niches, which is really cool. I know some people, I'm trying to think of the blogger, I can't think of her off the top of my head, but it's like a five ingredient niche or something. Like you can go ingredient, number of ingredients, amount of time cooking. I mean, you can go so many different like categories really. Yeah, you can. It does, you know, I use an appliance. I know other people do things like instant pot or slow cookers or pressure cooking. You know, there's there's a lot of appliance niches you can go into. And then we talk about, you know, special diet niches as well. But there are lots of other ways to think about a niche. And I think I struggled with that for quite a long time. I always, I don't know, in the early days, I didn't really think what I was writing about was a niche. I just thought it was a weird thing that no one else was doing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can also combine categories too. So you could do like air fryer breakfasts or, you know, it doesn't have to be just air fryer recipes. You can think, get really, really like drilled down into something super specific. And I think those are the bloggers that do better, honestly. I think they're the bloggers that end up with really solid followings. That's been my experience of it. So you can do really well as a blogger blogging about something more general and you can grow your blog and you probably will you almost certainly will have much bigger numbers than I'm ever going to have. But what I have that a lot of bigger bloggers complain about not having is a really engaged following. So I think if you do that hyper niche kind of thing or that hyper topical thing, you will end up with people following you for that specific reason rather than just thinking that you're someone who makes good recipes. Also useful, but not the only thing. <laughs> Yeah, the engaged following is kind of huge these days. That's one of the buzzwords. That's what you want. You want those people who are your super fans and who really love you and they want to engage with your content and they're just on the edge of their seat waiting for the next thing to publish, right? Like that is what we want. Well, I think that's what everyone wants. Right. That's what I have always wanted and I've spent a long time sort of nurturing those people who follow me and who've been with me from the beginning. There's lots of ways to do that, but I think just by virtue of having that single topic that they know they can come to you for, that's a really helpful thing because they know they're not going to come to you and go, oh, you know, I wonder if maybe she might write about a steam oven recipe this week, but then she won't write about one for another three months. Yeah. So for me, it's been always remembering, even though I would love to write about other things, and sometimes I do, but always remembering who I'm here for. And it's not me, really. It's my readers. I was going to ask you that. How often do you write outside of your niche? That's an interesting question at the moment because I'm just sort of toying with, and I'm speaking to my, I have a a business buddy who I catch up with. She's not a blogger actually, but she does have an online business. I catch up with her every couple of months and we were talking last week about the sorts of things that I would like to write about, which are other more general kind of food topics, but still within the same kind of the same approach as the recipes that I write now, which is that sort of really approachable, family-friendly kind of food. I have not done a lot of writing outside of my niche or not on my own website anyway. I do some freelance occasionally. But 
we're looking at ways that I can kind of combine a bit more of that general cooking without alienating the readers that I've got. And I think a lot of that comes down to the user experience of your of your website. So making things easy to filter or easy to search in different formats, if that makes sense. It sounds a bit vague, still a little bit vague in my mind. (laughs) No, that doesn't sound vague to me. That's, I love that. I love hearing you talk through that. And then I have a question about if somebody does pick a really super niche, there's someone in my mastermind group currently who is starting, I don't, I think it's a, is she starting a second blog or she's just trying to niche on her she has a handful of blogs and I think she's niching down on one of them and she chose a an appliance that nobody uses, nobody blogs about, literally. It's like you. It's like there's zero other people doing this, which is so cool. And we're like, oh my gosh, you found the gap. But then it's like, oh wait, how do I do this? Because I don't have anyone to follow or like anyone to give me inspiration. How do you recommend, you know, like getting inspiration when you don't have any other kind of people to join you on that specific journey. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I know exactly what you mean. And you definitely should send her my way because I'd love to talk to her. And now I want to know what she's writing about. (laughs) I still feel like I'm the first one after 10 years in my niche. So I've got fairly strong feelings about role models and how I, you know, how I take inspiration from other places. And the big thing is that because I cannot take inspiration from a direct role model, like I can't look at another food blogger and go, oh, they're writing about the same thing as me and I love their style and the colours of their website are beautiful, I'm just going to copy that and do the same thing, but in my own little way. I have never been able to do that. So I have found, and it's taken a long time, probably only in the last four or five years, so maybe half my blogging career, that what I look for in role models and what I have done all along without knowing it is looking for people who write still about food. I tend most of my role models are still foodie, but I'm looking for people who almost adopt the same tone that I'm going for. Rather than looking for a specific food or ingredient or appliance, I'm looking towards people who are really warm and really engaging and who value their readers. And you can tell bloggers who value their readers, so I tend to sort of look up to those people. And also... For me, and I think for most bloggers, we really want to be helpful. So I tend to look for role models that are the most helpful in whatever it is they're delivering. So, you know, if you're delivering great vegan food, I might look up to you for amazing, like the amazing way that you deal with your readers and that you help them in the comments section of your blog. And I think, oh, my gosh, that's so awesome. I would love to do that on my blog. So then I might start engaging more in the comments section. I hope that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah, I like that. So I think we would typically get stuck in the mindset that we have to find someone who's in the exact niche when we don't. What you're saying is that find someone who inspires you in other ways by the way they write or the way they connect or whatever, and go with that. And it doesn't have to be within your niche at all. No, it doesn't. And it doesn't even have to be in food at all. I know I said that I look up mostly to food bloggers or food writers. A lot of the foodie people I look up to are not bloggers. They they might be Nigel Slater is one, the English food writer, because he writes in a really warm and engaging tone. But I don't think he's ever had a blog. No, that's not his thing. But I look up to his tone and his warmth and his availability to his readers. So Yeah, you can do that. You don't have to find a role model who's just writing about the same thing that you want to write about. 
That is uh, like such a simple thing, but like, oh yeah, I guess I don't have to do yeah, that. I feel like it's not revolutionary at <laughs> I all. Know. It's almost a silly thing to say. <laughs> exactly. But it's good to say it because we do get stuck in those little tracks, right? And it's hard to get out of them until someone's like, wait, it's really easy. Just look this way. Yeah, look, this, look a different way. Yeah. Right. Look a different way. So how do you manage or navigate, I guess, SEO and keyword research with a really small niche like yours? Well, I will confess to not having done really very much with SEO at all until probably 2018 or 2019, which is not that long ago, really. That's, you know, maybe half the length of my blog. I have not at all even, not that I didn't know that SEO existed. I just had no interest in it. I figured it didn't apply to me. Yeah. So now I know that it does apply to me. I just have found some more creative ways of sort of working with keyword research particularly because if I go on to any of the keyword research tools, any of the big ones, so Ahrefs or SEMrush or KeySearch, even Google, you know, like the Google Trends that you can look for um, in the Search Console, all of those, when I search any of the things that I write about or would like to write about, they pretty much universally come up with like a zero search volume or maybe like you know, 100 search volume. They're certainly not coming up with like millions or even thousands in most cases. So I kind of attack it in two different ways. One is that I just don't worry about that and I write about the things that people ask me about. I have a really engaged Facebook group, so I often will ask what people would like to see on the website in there. I write about things that I just generally know will be helpful to people who have the appliance that I write on. But then I also, I kind of use keyword research to dig around and find topics that do have really good search volume. And then I will tweak them to steam oven cooking because a lot of my readers, that's all they want. They just want to know how to cook the regular, like the latest TikTok trend. They want to know how to make that, but can they do it in their steam oven? So I almost attack it from those two different ends where I look for the really popular stuff and then change it to my own purpose or I don't look at it at all. Okay, food bloggers, this is it. This is the last call to apply to join the 2024 eBlog Talk Mastermind program. At the time I am recording this, we only have two spots available. By the time this airs, I'm not sure if either of those spots will still be available, but head to eblogtalk.com forward slash mastermind to find out. This powerful group will not open again until we take applications for 2025. So if this has been on your radar, now is your time. December 15th is the date that the doors will close officially. We have incredible guest experts lined up for 2024. We are getting geared up for our in-person retreat that is included with membership and that is happening at the end of January. Weekly calls are set to start right away in January. Things are in motion and powerful transformations are about to take place. Head to eblogtalk.com forward slash mastermind to apply now back to the episode. Yeah, that's really smart to find good like trending things or high search volume keywords and then just tweak it to your own niche. You could do that with any appliance, really. Yeah, you totally could do it with any appliance. So it's, again, going back to that niche thing. If you, you know, if there's an appliance that you want to write about that has no search volume or no no one else writing about it, write about it anyway. And write about a few things that are popular just so that you can get some some eyeballs onto your site, but tweak them to fit what it is that you're trying to share or trying to communicate to people. But the other thing I have done recently 
only in the last few months is join Rank IQ, which I know you're a huge fan of. Mm. I put it off for a couple of years. I looked at it a long time ago and I've looked at it again a few times since. And every time I was like, oh, it's not going to work for me. They don't have keyword libraries that even are remotely relevant to what I blog about. And then someone had said to me that Brandon from Rank IQ would create a keyword library. If you join up, he'll create a keyword library that suits you. And I was like, oh, he's never going to be able to do that. So I signed up and I emailed him and he made me a Steam, not a Steam oven library, but a steaming keyword library, basically. Oh, my gosh. I knew you were going to say this. I love that he did that. I knew you were going to go this way. He's so awesome. (laughs) So it took maybe like six weeks or something after I signed up. But I sent him a bunch of topics that I write about and I gave him some access to my website And then he came back in with this, not massive, but certainly like plenty for me to write about for a really long time to come, all of these different topics for steam cooking, which fits perfectly with my website. So I'm, you know, it it doesn't hurt to ask the question, I suppose, is the the moral of that story for such a long time thinking it wouldn't work for me and then just asking one question because I had heard that he would help people, you know, when they didn't have keywords that worked for them. Yeah. So I have just started getting into a little bit more keyword research on that side, and that's been really fun. So for the Rank IQ content that you've been using, how has that been doing? Okay, I think. I'm probably two or three months into using some of the Rank IQ keywords, so I might have like 10 or 12 posts on my site now that are Rank IQ kind of optimized. They all are trending upwards in rankings, so that's a really positive thing for me. And a couple of them are like sitting in the top five, I would say, on Google now. So they're not massive, again, not massive search volume, but that's, I think, Rank IQ's whole thing. And for me, that's really familiar because I'm used to working with very low search volume. So I'm really excited when I see something shoot to number five or number four on on the Google rankings because I think, oh, that's really cool. That might have taken me two years on my own because I didn't know how to optimize it properly. Right. I think this is one of the key points for people listening who are thinking about niching down, Rank IQ is such a game changer for that because like you, Emily, people go along thinking, oh, there's no way this niche is too small. I can't find keywords. But you just asked and he created this library for you. And then once I asked and I started using my library, I did, I've branched out a little bit and now I know that there are certain other ways that I can look for keywords within that system And I can find other things to write about too. And again, it's like the thing where I said, you know, I look for things with big search volume and then tweak them to steam oven cooking. I've been able to do that within Rank IQ as well. So that's been really helpful and almost like a whole new way of thinking about the content on my website. Yes, right. Yeah, there is like a mindset shift that goes along with Rank IQ because, yeah, once you get into it, you just start thinking differently, if that makes sense. You're like... Yeah, I really have. And I was surprised. It was super overwhelming when I first sort of went in there and started digging around. But I would say maybe two or three weeks into like really pushing myself to use it a couple of times a week, all of a sudden this switch kind of flipped in my mind. And I was like, oh, I love this tool. (laughs) I know. I know. I have people all the time say, I've had it for like a year, but I don't like it because I just don't get it. Like you have to get in 
dig in, play with it a little bit, get to know it. And then once people do, they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't do this sooner. I love it. It's a game changer. It changed my life, my traffic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So cool. I'm so glad that you found that. I was, you don't have this in your notes, but I was wondering if you would talk about Rank IQ because I'm like niche site. I don't know, but super cool that that came up. And then outside of SEO keyword research and getting traffic that way, are there other ways that you monetize your site? Yeah, there are. Like I said, my numbers are not huge. So I am on Mediavine. I got on Mediavine, I think in 2020 or maybe 2019. But I'm still, you know, I'm a baby blogger on Mediavine. So I'm never going to make a full-time income off the numbers that I have on my website. And also because I have a really global readership, my ad income from Mediavine is lower than other people who might have the same traffic, but theirs is all US traffic. So only about half of my traffic is US and that does impact your ad earnings. But I have, I've tried quite a lot of different things for income diversification over the years. And I used to do a lot of freelance work that was outside of my blog. But I decided a couple of years ago that if I was really going to make it my job, then I didn't want to do, well, not I didn't want to do any freelance work, but I only wanted to do freelance work if I thought that it looked fun and I was really interested in it. And that was a huge mindset shift for me. So I have had to find a few other ways to make money on my website. One is cookbooks, which do really well for some people and not so well for others. I have found... Both ebooks and print books do pretty well for me. So I've got a couple on Amazon and I've got, I think, three, no, four ebooks on my website now. And they do, you know, like when I launch, I have a really, a pretty nice kind of bump in income for that launch period. But then they all just sit there on the site and I always sell a few copies a week just from, you know, they're linked into my my welcome series in my email so people will find them that way or people will just go to the shop and be like, oh, cool, she has a book and they'll buy it. So that's been really helpful for me. But I would say I think I see a lot of bloggers complaining about how they put a lot of time into making an ebook or a print book and then it hasn't worked for them. So I really think they work better for niche sites. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with you. <laughs> in what I've seen over the last 10 years, they work really well for niche sites with that very concentrated kind of topical matter and not yeah. so well for the really big, broad, generalist kind of sites. Yeah. I know a few bloggers who have put together ebooks who do really well, and they're the ones that do really well are all super niche. I put one together a few years ago that was like Thanksgiving side dishes or some, just yeah. something really broad that like now looking back, I'm like, what was I thinking? That was really <laughs> stupid and boring. Like who's going to get it? Just random, whatever. I feel like I always think about doing a general book as well because I just yeah, like, it didn't do well. I, I always want like, to write a lot of cookbooks in my life and I find it really fun. Yeah, I know they're fun to put together. It definitely makes a difference if you're yeah, really niche. Definitely. People are happy to pay for something that they just cannot get anywhere else. And so true. I started out with a lot of exclusive content in my books and I have almost pulled that back. And the last ebook I released is just like a really small collection of a dozen recipes and they're all on my website. But I charge like I don't know, $7.99 or $8.99 for this ebook. And that is the highest selling book that I have. So oh, wow. yeah, that's another lesson in, you know, it's okay if you can repackage things and it's okay to do that and to ask people to pay for it. <laughs> yeah. And that's not nothing. I mean, that all adds up throughout the year and gives you extra money. Yeah. It's, you know, it's little trickles of money, you know, 
every couple of days I get a little notification that says I've sold a book and I still get really excited even if it's like five dollars yes and I hope I never lose that because it's really fun but yeah so that's one way I monetize and then this year I started a membership Um, I used to have a patreon and it was kind of okay but I always found it a bit clunky so this year I brought that kind of same idea onto my website and I started like a subdomain off my site and I have a membership which is really just two newsletters a month so I guess it's a paid newsletter more than a membership but we call it a membership and that's done surprisingly well so that's something I would really recommend again to to niche bloggers who've got maybe more to say than is than is warranted on their websites if you want to go a little bit deeper into a topic but you know it's never going to bring any traffic to your site and there's no point putting it there. That was sort of my impetus to do it. I thought, oh, I've got all these things that people want more detail on, but I can't be bothered putting them on my site. Google will never see it. You know, it's not, it's just not a worthwhile thing. But it turns out if I put those really long kind of detailed articles into a newsletter, people are really happy to pay for that and they pay quite well for it. Oh, that's amazing. So do you do Substack or something similar to that? No, I looked at Substack And then I went back to, I use MailerLite for my regular list, my standard email list, and my readers are really used to the format of the emails. And so I just thought, oh, I'm just going to go really simple and see how it goes. And three or four months into the membership, I'm still doing that and people are really happy with it. So I don't know, a vote for using what you already have instead of going to a new thing, maybe. Yes, right. I love all of this. So membership, you've got a membership that's doing well. You have cookbooks yeah. that are doing well and your everything on your site is doing well. What else? Do you have any other avenues for monetization? I don't think that I do apart from freelance work. Now yeah. I'm trying to think. You know, I'm like, I feel like maybe I've forgotten something. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good if you have so many things that you're forgetting. It's ad revenue and cookbooks and the membership. I have just launched like a couple of weeks ago, a really simple printable, like a chart kind of printable. I'm not sure yet how that one is going to go long-term, but it had a really good launch. And that's literally like three black and white pages that you just download and you can print and stick on your fridge. So, you know, it's the same thing again. It's sort of that repackaging of things that people could find on my website I turned it into a chart that tells you how to convert like a regular recipe or regular ingredient into a steam oven cooking because the timing and the temperatures are a little bit different between like a regular oven and a steam oven. Sure. And with really niche topics too, you can get so into the details. There's so many details to get into, whereas like a site about comfort food like mine, it's like, well, (laughs) there's not much to talk about with details, but you have so many details that you can help people with. And for those people who really want to get into steam oven baking or cooking, they need those details, right? So that's such a good opportunity. Yeah, I think they do. And I think a lot of people have kind of come up with me, like the people who followed my blog since the start or since early on, their interest, you know, if I go a little bit deeper now, they're happy with that because they've gone beyond the basics of, oh, I don't know how to turn my oven on. (laughs) Now they're (laughs) cooking my things or, you know, cooking my things and then branching out to cook their own things for, say, seven or eight or nine years, they want those extra details. So that's that's that extra value, I guess, in the long-term engagement as well. Absolutely. None of this stuff happened for me overnight, and it's really only been the last couple of years that I can say I solidly make not even a full-time but a good part-time income from my website. 
Have you noticed that you've become like a go-to person in your niche? Like do people see the topic and just think of you and vice versa? Yes. Yes. And I find it really, really flattering and really weird at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Because I don't, I don't know. I don't think I aspire to ever be like a, a thought leader or something. But yes, I do find that. And there's a couple of Facebook groups that are run by other people in the steam oven cooking space. And I'm a member of those groups, but I don't post very, you know, I'm not regularly on Facebook, just crawling around answering comments, except in my own group. But now I have readers who, when someone posts a question in a different group, or even on Reddit, I've noticed there's a like a steam oven community on Reddit, which is not at all my thing. <laughs> but the couple of times I've looked at it, people will say, oh, you know, I have a question about like XYZ for steam ovens. And someone will jump in and say, oh, you need to go and see her website. And she's got like this article and they will link out to like certain articles mm-hmm. that I've written or, you know, certain Facebook posts that I've put up in the last couple of months. So that's been, it's really lovely actually, because that means I'm not having to constantly feel like I'm promoting myself, which is always really awkward. I think it's awkward for everyone. Yeah, so that's been nice. And I do get brands contact me now as well for the same reason. So I've had a few really good freelance gigs based off the steam oven knowledge. Oh, I love that. And that applies to any niche, right? Like any super super niche, you could become the go-to person for fill in the blank if you just keep showing up and delivering value for that niche. Yeah, you could. And if it's something you like doing, don't give up on it. Keep like keep going with that thing yeah. as long as you've got a few people reading you and following you because the rest will come. Yeah. Also podcasts. That's always a good opportunity to get on podcasts, which I love this just concept of getting food bloggers onto as many podcasts as possible if you want to become the go-to person for whatever your niche is because you get backlinks, you get you know, access to a whole new audience. There's so many benefits to being on podcasts. So I bet, I don't know if you have, Emily, but I bet you'd have a lot of opportunity to go talk about this really niche thing on podcasts. I don't know. You're my first podcast, Megan. Oh, well, (laughs) you'll have to branch out and go check it out. I was really nervous about podcasts for a long time. And then I did a radio spot for something completely unrelated in my personal life a few months ago. And I was like, oh, that was kind of fun. Maybe I should do more of that. There you go. You're on a roll. I mean, that's a thing for me now. I don't yes. know. Yes. And also TV segments, like news segments or, yeah, like radio, whatever. I think any opportunity you can see to spread the word about your niche and your love for it, I think is yeah. great. Yeah. I think yeah. people get excited when when someone else is excited talking about a topic. So yeah. if it's something they've got any kind of peripheral knowledge of, they'll probably stop and listen. Um, That doesn't apply just to me. That applies to everyone. Yeah. What do you think about the hang-up of people saying, like, maybe there's a niche that's really niche, but there are other people already into that niche? So they get stuck on, well, they're already doing it. They're doing a great job. I don't want to intrude on their space, that sort of thing. This is going to sound really trite. And I used to hear it and think, oh, what a stupid thing to say. But I honestly think you always have your own perspective on something. So even if everyone is writing about it, it's still okay for you to write about it in your own way, in your own voice, with your own lived experience. It's okay to bring your own thing to something that already exists. Yes, I love it. And I don't think that's trite at all. I think that we need to hear that in our... Yeah, I used to hear it and think, oh... (laughs) <laughs> I don't know I just think 
maybe as I've gotten a bit older, I think, oh, you know, that's that's really very true because you follow people for people, not for stuff, if that so makes true. sense. Um, but, you know, the stuff is useful, but you really follow people because you like them and you like their delivery and their way of sharing something. Absolutely. So get out there and get into those niches. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's it's really easy to get caught up in the comparison trap, though, in our food blogging space. It's so saturated. There's so many of us. So I know a lot of people who are like, oh, I don't know. There's there already, you know, so many people doing it, but I love your words. We need to hear your voice and your audience will find you because of you, not because of your niche necessarily. Yeah, they really will. And it's it's such a mindset shift to think about it that way, but it's really, it's so true. And it's just, if you can just tweak your mindset a little bit and remember that you're running your own race and not somebody else's race. That's for me, that's really helpful to keep in mind all the time and to remember that maybe your version of a good life or a good job or a successful business doesn't actually look just like everyone else's. So for my, you know, my successful business or successful life is not working 80 hours a week and making a million bucks. It's sitting in the little studio in my backyard and having my kids playing on the grass outside while I do some work, you know, it's just different things for different people. Yeah. I love that. You painted such a lovely picture. It's not always that lovely, Megan. Oh, well, (laughs) trust me. I know. I sometimes like paint pictures like that and I'm like, you know, my life isn't always like that. It can be ugly at times. We've been sick for three weeks, literally. So yeah, life can be. I don't know. Life, Life is also rough. It's not all peaches, but it's. I know. It's, it can be really lovely. So it's nice to take joy in the little, the little things. Absolutely. Well, thank you for all of this. Is there anything you want to touch on before we start saying goodbye, Emily? I don't really think so. I think we've touched on, yeah, most of the things that I wanted to talk about today. Mostly I would just say to people that, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, but I still feel like a newbie. So maybe if you're a new blogger, and you're thinking whether it's about a niche thing or a not niche thing, whatever you're thinking about doing and going, oh, I don't think I can start because everyone's been doing it for so long. We all feel like newbies as well. <laughs> None of us feel like we're experts in this, or I certainly don't. And no no other food blogger that I am in touch with feels like an expert in their, in their field. So, yeah, do it. I love it. Thank you for all of this and for joining us today, Emily, and sharing all of your experience with niching, having that awesome niche side of yours. You already kind of gave us words of inspiration. Do you have anything additionally, like a favorite quote or anything? My favorite quote is just be kind, which is a really boring quote, but it's a good rule for life. (laughs) Ooh, it's so simple and powerful. Super simple. It's when I teach my kids all the time. I was just going to say that. I tell my boys, like, it's really very easy. Two words. You just have to be kind. And that's it. Just be kind. Yeah. Everything else will happen. Just be kind. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Well, we'll put together show notes for you, Emily. If you want to go look at those, you can go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash steam and bake. Tell everyone where they can find you, Emily. I'm pretty much everywhere as Steam and Bake. Um, My site is steamandbake.com. You can find me on Facebook and Pinterest and sort of on Instagram, although I don't post there very often. Yeah, Facebook is probably the best place to get me if you ever want to get in touch or have a chat. Go check Emily's stuff out, everyone. And thank you, Emily, for being here. Thank you so much for listening, food bloggers. I will see you in the next episode. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of eBlog Talk. Please share this episode with a friend who would benefit from tuning in. I will see you next time.